Uh, my name is Tyler Rawson, and it's my privilege to bring God's Word to you on this last Sunday morning of 2019. I hope you've had a good Christmas. Are you there? Let's read God's Word together. It should be on the screen behind us. God's Word says this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know if waiting, waiting on someone or something is your, fi- is your thing, okay? Uh, I don't know if you guys... Uh, can't think of anything more exciting than, than waiting on someone or something, right? Kids are notoriously known for being bad at waiting, right? There's that dreaded, feared line that comes from uh, the back seats of the car, right? That doesn't just come in a singular form, but comes in a plurality of tens and hundreds. That dreaded line, are we there yet. Are we there yet? Children don't like waiting, right? Um, When I was a child, I didn't like waiting. Particularly, uh, I didn't like waiting on Christmas, right? Uh, December seemed like the longest month in the year. Is any kids kids in the room? Most of them have left, but any kids can vouch for that. To me as a child, it seemed like this. 30 days has September, April, June, and November, and December has 62. That's what it felt like. But the only people more impatient than kids, right, are parents, right? Does anyone want to publicly confess the sin of impatience um, in the room this morning? Uh, But parents are more impatient than children. How? Why? Parenthood, right? Parenthood, nothing like parenthood tests your patience, right? Some of you are thinking, Tyler, how do you know that? Uh, Are you a father? I'm not, Um, but I live with two parents and uh, I frustrate them in in, uh, impatience all the time. But we live in an anti-weight culture, don't we? Instant coffee, fast food, If our phone doesn't respond to us in two seconds, we want the new one. It's about having it our way. And it's about having it right away. 
We want it our way, and we want it right away. No one likes waiting. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you jump with glee when your Amazon delivery is late. But no one likes waiting from where I'm standing, at least. The book of Isaiah is a book about waiting. Judah and Israel await the impending destruction that's coming their way from Assyria and Babylon. They await and know of this judgment that's coming their way. And when that judgment comes, when they're in exile, when they're in a foreign land, in a foreign culture, they're told to await God's promised deliverance to them. Again, they're waiting. Lo and behold, God's promise of deliverance comes. But when, they're de- when God's deliverance comes and they return back to the promised land, God tells them to wait again. God tells them of a heavenly Jerusalem, a new transformed Jerusalem that's coming in the future that they must wait upon. We read about this heavenly Jerusalem throughout Isaiah, but particularly in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17 through 25. In verse 19 of that chapter, it says this, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. The people of Isaiah had to wait. Their lives, regardless of what point of the journey of that time in the life of Judah and Israel that they were in, the people had to wait. And just like that, we have to wait. In fact, the Christian life is in many ways, a pilgrimage of waiting. The Christian life is, among other things, about waiting. We see in Scripture lots of people in lots of different scenarios and situations. People had to wait. People had to wait on God's personalized promise to them. I wonder what you're waiting on this morning. Maybe you're waiting on that new job that you you feel a sense of calling toward. Maybe you're waiting to get into that university course or that apprenticeship. Maybe you missed out on it last year and you're hoping and you're praying that this will be the year that you get into that course. Maybe you're waiting to find a significant other. Maybe you're waiting for God to reveal your future or the next step in your journey. Maybe you're waiting to be reunited with a loved one. Maybe you're waiting for your suffering or the suffering of someone you love to end. Maybe life hasn't gone gone as you would plan it. Maybe you're waiting to see a glimmer of light. Maybe you're waiting for hope again to stir in your heart. Maybe you're waiting again to not just see that glimmer of light, but to enter that light and live in that reality. That was what was going on in Isaiah. That's what the people were going through. That's what they were longing for. 
But lying behind all of these weights, these earthly weights that we go through, this life that is waiting, behind all of that is a greater weight, a greater promise, a greater reality, eternal life. That's what our soul and our being longs for that day when there'll be no more pain, no more tears, no more wrestling with sin, no more separation from God. But finally, we will behold God in his fullness. We will see him face to face. And on that day when we see him, all those other weights will disappear and be absorbed into the reality of God who, is, who would be before us in that moment. In verse 27 of our reading, it should be on the screen, it says this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? In Babylonian exile, in the wait, the people were, attempt, were, were tempted to abandon what they previously knew. They were abandoned to leave this faith, the faith of their forefathers. The weight seemed too much for them. The weight got to them, it got under their skin. They allowed the weight to become that. They started asking questions like, God, if you were really there, you wouldn't have brought me here. Surely the God of the Babylonians is stronger than Yahweh. If Yahweh was stronger, we wouldn't be in Babylon in captivity. Today we're tempted to say that trusting in God is fruitless. It doesn't amount to anything. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't give us any, anything tangible before us I want to encourage you to not let the frustration rob you from what God has done we're so quick to forget when trial and tribulation arrive at our door to forget what God has done to forget who God is in the present and what he is doing in the present and to disregard what he is going to do in the future. But this is what God says to those who are frustrated at the waiting process. Read with me verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Have you not known? Have you not heard? What's implied here is this, that you have known. You have known and you have heard this God. You have known him. You have a God story. You have a story in which God has intervened. He has indwelt you with his Holy Spirit. He has transformed you from the inside out. We have a story and we shouldn't disregard it. We shouldn't discard it and throw it away. What Isaiah is saying to the people is this. God, the God who knew you, 
is the God who knows you today. The God who seen you then is the God who sees you now. The God who held you back then is the God who held you now. Verse 28 says, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He is the creator of all. He knows all and he is in all. He is the beginning and he is in the now. He who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 20, it says, He does not faint or grow weary. We all know that waiting on people sometimes leads to frustration. Waiting on people leads to disappointment. Waiting on people causes us to wait in vain. But waiting on God is different. God is worth waiting on. God is reliable and sure. God cannot be surmounted by Buddha or Brexit or Babylon. Big fancy theological word. God is immutable. God is immutable. It means God cannot and God will not change. God cannot and will not change. See, if I wronged you this morning, right, which is probably likely, but if I wronged you, I would say, I'm sorry. If I wronged you, I would say, I'll not do it again. If I wronged you, I'd say, give me another chance. I would say, don't look at the past. Forget about it. Let me prove to you that I'll be different. Let me prove to you that I can make amends. But God will never say that to you. God says to you, look at me. Look at who I have been. Look at my faithfulness. Look at my presence. Look how I sustained you and held you and knew you and loved you. I am the same God today. Nothing has changed. I am the immutable one. I am the unchanging one. And our situations change, circumstances ebb and flow, but I will not. I will remain the same. Church, we don't have to wake up in the morning or we don't have to wake up in 2020 and wonder what type of mood God will be in or wonder how he will treat us. We wonder those things with our family, our spouses, our friends. But God is immutable. God does not change. He is the everlasting one. His mood does not change. His character does not change. How he treats you will not change. His love is never failing. His promises are always true. His presence is incessantly near. Always. 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 Regardless of what is shaking and moving and changing all around us. In verse 28, at the end it says, His understanding is unsearchable. We will never get to the bottom of him. He alone is omniscient. He alone is all-knowing. There's mystery in the waiting. 
He knows and we don't. There's mystery. There's why questions. There's uncertainty. But in the mystery of the waiting, we're invited to take hold of the Father's hand. It's like this. It's like being a child in, let's say, Piccadilly Square with scores and scores of people around you, feeling lost, feeling isolated and alone. And the Father comes and says, take my hand. We don't know what's out there. We don't know what obstacles and challenges and situations we'll face. It's certainly something we wouldn't want to face alone. But the Father says, take my hand. And he says, I know. I know what's out there. I see what is before us. Take my hand and trust me. Take my hand and follow me. This is the Father who says in verse 29 through to 31, this is the Father who gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Even use shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord, say with me, but they who wait for the Lord, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Look with me, verse 28, we see God's power. We see his rule and reign. We see his might. In other words, we see his kingship. He sits on a throne and rules. We see his kingship, but in verse 29 through to verse 31, we see a different picture of God. Not a a picture that contradicts God, but but another layer of of who he is. What we see is his sense of servanthood. The sense that he wants to do something for us. That he wants to help us. In verse 28, we see his kingship. In verse 29 through to 31, we see his servanthood. He is our servant king. Earlier in chapter 40, in verse 10 and 11, if you have your Bible, it should be on the same page or the page before. But verse 10 and 11 speaks of this. In verse 10, we see God's kingship. Listen to this. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his rewards is with him and his recompense before him. We see his kingship. But in verse 11, we see a different picture. We see servanthood. In fact, we see God, his shepherd. Verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. See, we don't need a powerful king who's unwilling to help. We don't need a willing servant who's enabled to help. 
but we need the one who created the cosmos to simultaneously be the God who washes our feet. We need the God that sits on the throne of heaven that encircles the earth to be the same God who a Christmas assumed flesh as an infant and was laid in a feeding trough for you and me. Earthly kings display their power by building their kingdom, seeing how many people they can encompass, seeing how many people they can get to work for them. Our God displays his greatness. by being available to us to help. Our God shows his greatness by making himself available to help and then showcasing his power through us. Verse 39 says this, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. In the waiting, God is working in your life. God is working. God is doing that word waiting in Hebrew is the Hebrew word kava. Kava. And it means more than just merely waiting, as you would wait on Christmas Day for Santa to come down the chimney. It, it means to wait with hopeful, expectant anticipation in your heart. Not the type of waiting that is wishful thinking, right? Not the type of waiting that says, oh, it might happen or it might not. It's not that type of waiting. This type of waiting is more hopeful than that. This type of waiting is more sure than that. How? Romans 5.5 tells us, and hope does not put us to shame or hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. We can be sure of this hope because we've had a foretaste of it, because we've already experienced the reality of it. One theologian, writer, pastor, author said this, It is as though God punched a hole in the floor of heaven through which the Spirit pours into our hearts a little taste of that heavenly love here and now. The foretaste that we've experienced in our lives of God's love is our sign and the giving of the Spirit of God to us is our guarantee that if God has done this for us, he will do that for us. That he will be true to all of his promises. That in Christ Jesus, every promise will be yes and amen. It's like this, right? It's like asking Santa this kava hope. It's like asking Santa for skeletrics at Christmas, okay? Imagine this. The child asks Santa for skeletrics, writes it down in his list, and on Christmas night, he's wide-eyed, unable to sleep at the thought of Santa coming and visiting his home. 
And then suddenly he hears a noise from downstairs. And guess what it is, right? It's Santa downstairs playing with the ski electrics, right? That may or may not have happened to me as a child. But Kava Hope is like that. If you asked the child on Christmas night, what are you waiting for? What are you hoping to get from Santa? That child would say, I'm waiting on Scalettrics. I want Scalettrics. But he wouldn't just say, I want Scalettrics. He would say it with the massive, a massive expression on his face, right? He would be smiling, right, from right across his earlobes, right? Because that kid would know that he's getting Scalettrics because he's had a foretaste. He has heard his present stirs our hope in Christ, our hope in God is like that. We hope for what we have already received. We have had a foretaste of him. And as we wait on the Lord, we are to remember this hope. We are to live in the reality and the hopeful expectation of this hope that is already ours in Christ Jesus. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we see the oldest promise given to us in Scripture. This promise that from the seed of the woman, that there will come one who will bruise the head of Satan. That the Messiah will come and disarm Satan. And it happens on the cross. God was faithful to his oldest promise to us. That ought to give us confidence that he will deliver on his promises to us. Not only did he satisfy and fulfill his oldest promise, but he satisfied and fulfilled his costliest promise by sending Christ to die in our stead for us. If this God is willing to be faithful to his oldest promise, and this God is, be, is, is faithful to his costliest promise, we can be assured that all of his promises are yes and amen, and that they are already ours, and that they are sure, and that they are reliable. Kava hope means waiting in hopeful expectation. But in addition to this, there's another layer to this Hebrew word that I want to end on with you guys. Kava also conjures up this picture of being bound together. This picture of things being twisted together. The picture is this. You might feel like your life is falling apart or your life is breaking but God is saying twist your life into me twist your life into me twist your life into me so that we would be a two-corded rope in doing so we're told that we mount up with wings like eagles run and don't grow weary walk and don't faint. Why? Because one of those strands, one of those cords in this rope is what verse 28 tells us. One cord is the everlasting God. The one who does not wear or tear. The one, the one who does not slumber or sleep. The one who will be faithful to you 
Always and always. What does this mean? It means you may be afflicted, but you're not crushed. You may feel down, but you're not out. You will walk again. You will walk again. There is strength yet to be had if the band want to join me at the front. So what will your 2020 story be? What will your 2020 story be? So much of it is uncertain. So much of it is unknown. But promised to you. Guaranteed to you. And guaranteed for 2020. Amidst the uncertainty is this. Strength and power. What will your 2020 story be? Strength and power. On the condition that you wait on him. That you wait on him. That you call to mind the assurance of the hope that you have, the unshakable promise that you have in him. And contingent on you tethering your life to him. Contingent on you twisting your life into who he is, into what he says, and letting your life be orientated and held and secured by him, knowing regardless of what weight strains that rope, the everlasting God is surrounding you. Knowing that regardless of weight, what sort of weight comes your way in 2020, knowing that the everlasting God is the one that is anchoring you, is the one who is holding you and securing you. Does that describe your life right now? What about 2019? Was your life twisted into him? Or were you passively going through life, attending church, doing all the right things, saying all the right things, but were you really in life-giving, living relationship with the living God? Were you? Is that where you were in 2019? Can you say in 2019, God, I really did seek you and find you. We're told that we will find God when we seek him with all our hearts in Jeremiah. Is that your story? Is that, is that what you left in 2019? I want to encourage you and implore you. Don't do it for another year. Don't passively live your Christian life. Don't passively live the life of faith in a way that does not require faith when strength and power from the Holy Spirit is on offer to you. Don't settle for just getting through by your own strength. You will weary and tire and fall exhausted. But I implore you, let your story be defined by him, by you twisting your life into him, getting before him day by day, saying, God, I need you, I want you. I need more of you, I can't do it without you. The issue is we settle for a life and a lifestyle 
that can be mimicked by non-Christians, those who don't have the Spirit of God in them. And then we don't feel a necessity to come before God and need His strength and need His power. When I was in New York City, I was working for a, a Christian charity in New York City when I was 18 for a number of months. I remember being on a rooftop in New York City in Brooklyn, looking out over the skyline of Manhattan where I would meet with God. Things were going on in my life. Things weren't easy. And I had decisions to make, decisions that would have massive bearing on my future. That would have probably changed the course of my life. And I remember God spoke to me in that moment and said, Tyler, hold Christ tightly and everything else loosely. That's it. Hold him tightly and everything else loosely. That is my challenge to you. As we approach the new year,